All right, me, Dan, and Alex are here in the library, in the study, where we come to do some light reading and uh, get back to the days when rock and roll meant something in 1999. And uh, I feel like maybe we should start with this very informative MTV News article from June 22nd, 1999, Limp Bizkit score with Nookie from Significant Other. This is a great article. If anything, like, they needed to make that album so that this article could still be interesting to read 20 years later. Like, I would argue this article outstrips uh, the album for me. So let's see. It just begins, um, you know, as Limp Bizkit's single Nookie prospers at both alternative and active rock radio, the Jacksonville, Florida quintet has reason to be optimistic about its sophomore album, Significant Other. What is active rock? Dude, I have no idea. I don't think I've ever heard of that even back then. It's shit you can bang your head to. But then alternative rock doesn't have things you can bang your head to? On that note, I noticed recently, I like to listen to FM radio stations in the car. I like knowing like what they're playing. The station that was used to be hard rock has sort of diversified into like indie rock in like sort oh. of classic rock stuff, which is interesting because I remember growing up, it was like Breaking Benjamin and Disturbed and What stained. era of indie rock though? Is it like corporate pseudo indie rock from like right now? Sometimes like it's stuff like or? that. Like it's like a 21 Pilots and then, but they also play like The Cure. Oh, okay. Uh, interesting. Maybe it's just guitar-based music is so uh, deeply unpopular that that they just have to kind of pack it all into uh into one little corner yeah maybe so you got the cure and 21 pilots just uh sharing space together well i don't know i don't have any non-guitar uh, radio stations where i am excluding npr playing classical and jazz country stations classic rock top 40 pop i guess top 40 pop is like there's plenty of synth and stuff but there isn't like a there isn't a, a hip-hop station Oh, wow. You got to go south for that. Let's see. Continuing in this article here, uh, frontman Fred Durst said nothing has come too easily for his rap metal band, and the band members have the calluses to prove it. It's cool what's happening to us, Durst said earlier this year after the band scored its first major hit with a revved up cover of George Michael's Faith. We've done a lot of groundwork, toured a lot, dealt with a lot of shit, which is spelled S-H dash dash. And a lot of people telling us they couldn't stand us. Those same people are praising us now, and that's pretty funny. Yeah, they have a real audio excerpt of the song, but it doesn't work anymore. Go figure. You need real player. Yeah, maybe so. I gotta go download, like, real player version, like, one point something. I never really thought about that name before, real player. The implication is that the other players are fake. Yeah, they foresaw the era of, like, fake friends and shit, and they... They, uh, you know, got in there early as being real. Winamp isn't real. Winamp is illegitimate. Real player is the only player. Winamp is basically a virus. <laughs> You're damaging your computer by using Winamp. Durst, 28, said Nookie is one of several songs on the band's sophomore album, Significant Other, that were inspired by a failed relationship. It's about my ex-girlfriend, how she treated me like SH-dash-dash, and I couldn't leave her and wouldn't get over it. She treated me like shoes. Yeah. (laughs) She screwed my friends over and used me for my money. I tried to figure out why I did it, and I figured I did it all for the nookie. (laughs) 
that's sort of a different explanation for than like what's in the song because that's like a, a resigned thing like she treated me like shit but i guess i stayed around for the nookie but in the song it's like well you cheated on me and stole all my money uh and left now i'm gonna take the cookie and stick it up your yeah but uh, yeah and he's like screaming it in the chorus like oh yeah well i did it all for the sex yeah like, it's a very different emotion it's not really he's more rational and level-headed in this interview it doesn't make sense as an own. But it's like um, for the E1 Rap Genius stuff, one of these like nerd moderators came through and deleted every single annotation from all our songs for uh, repeating the line or like restating the line or whatever. Um, and then here's Fred Durst in 1999 literally explaining the line, I did it all for the nookie as, I figured I did it all for the nookie. <laughs> like that wouldn't even pass muster on Rap Genius, you know? So those were different times. You know, the bar was lower. It's... Uh... Yeah. Music hadn't quite gotten as sophisticated as it is today. It's true. Isn't there something in there about um, how they came up with the title? Or am I thinking of something else? I've done a lot of reading about this. Title? Yeah, like they didn't mean to call it Nookie, but they like they made it oh, as like a, okay. a scratch title. Because it was like oh, on a magazine or something, like a porno mag in the studio. <laughs> I don't think that's in and then this they kept interview. that in the original song. Well, here's another really good part of this interview, though. Um, they're talking about when Stone Temple pilot Scott Weiland and Corn frontman Jonathan Davis uh, came into the studio with Limp Biscuit to work on the song Nobody Like You. It's crazy the chemistry that just happened, Durst said of the collaboration. <laughs> According to Durst, the recording session was sparked when Weiland suggested they all go into the studio vocal booth and just freak it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my that's god how the magic happens that's actually scott wyland in uh the nookie chorus where it's like like a chump a that's him is it really yeah i don't i don't <laughs> know if that was a sample from stone temple pilots or like that was from that other song's recording yeah it could be but that's him making that noise i'm just thinking like through any era like oh me and john and paul were in the studio and uh, George Martin was there with us, and he was like, just go in the vocal booth and just freak it. And that's how we wrote our first number one record. <laughs> just freak it. It's timeless advice for musicians. I had a dream about Scott Weiland the night before he died. <laughs> and the same thing happened with Chris Cornell. Did you kill both of them? I think I actually did. Or do you just dream about them every night? No, I only dream about them then. It's like I, I still have no explanation for it. Damn. It must be a really weird coincidence. But if I dream about Eddie Vedder, he's <laughs> probably going to die. Did you dream about uh, Kurt Cobain when you were like an infant? Uh, probably. I don't remember, but very likely I did. We got to start finding musicians that we want to get out of the way and then just have you think about them all day. <laughs> Oh, I, here's one more quote that I really like from this Limp Bizkit article. Um, they're just talking about how they were grinding on the road like so hard that they just improved as a band. And he's explaining the album before it's released. He's like, oh, man, it's on another level. It's more mature. The hip hop's more hip hop and the melodies are more melodic. It's crazy. <laughs> it's cool that it's more mature. And this band, they didn't even release their album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water yet, where they got even more mature. It's really on another level. I just sent you guys a uh, Rolling Stone article from the same era that is uh, that opens with uh, Fred Durst talking to Adam Sandler. 
It's interesting how Fred Durst's career... I was thinking about how, like, Adam Sandler has become this respected actor now. Yeah. And it's weird how Fred Durst's career has been to become, like, an okay director. Like, of all the things yeah. you would imagine Fred Durst doing in, like, 2019, it's like, he's a director who, uh, his films are moderately well-received. Oh, wait, I like this this one of um, Fred Durst and Adam Sandler talking in, like, 1999. Uh it's Adam Sandler's calling because he wants to use a Limp Biscuit song in his new film, Big Daddy. Durst has already seen the picture. Man, I was about to cry at one point, I swear. <laughs> the part where they pee on the wall. Just... <laughs> yeah. What an emotional movie from Adam Sandler's past. They, this article describes him as uh, 66 inches of tightly wound cracker with a scrappy goatee. Steely God. blue eyes and a free-floating belligerence. And this is some real fucking 90s writing. This is, uh, this is extremely 90s. It's the kind of writing that, that just ended in 2001. Yeah, like, like we were saying um, before we started recording, yeah, it took September 11th to end this kind of stuff. Yeah, to, the, en- the, to, to end the, like fucking salaried Rolling Stone journalist describing Fred Durst as... 66 inches of tightly wound cracker. (laughs) It says the sight of Fred Durst Hollywood schmoozing is as incongruous as the $8,000 Rolex submariner that hangs off his tattooed covered forearm. And then in parentheses, Durst gave his mom a similar timepiece on Mother's Day. (laughs) Cool detail. He, He gave his mom a Rolex? Like a, <laughs> yeah, it's a hilarious a, thing for a mom to Rolex. Wear. Let me look up what that watch looks like. Yeah, that is that's a man's watch. Yeah, <laughs> that is just a, a woman would not wear that watch. So he probably like a year or two before they got big, he probably bought his mom um like a chain wallet to put in her jinkos. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Forcing your elderly mother to wear jinkos. <laughs> Come on, mom. It's cool. I got myself a pair and you. I like this quote. This is good. If there's one thing that might yet hinder Limp Biscuit's anticipated ascendancy, it's the band's poor image among female listeners. <laughs> I think about women listening to the new record more than I did with the first one, Durst said. I didn't used to think about it at all. And this is one para- two paragraphs after he's at a strip club and asks one of the uh, dancers, quote, do you guys eat pussy? <laughs> That's a great juxtaposition. Asking the dancers, dancers that? <laughs> He's 28 years old at this point, too. I know. Like, <laughs> That's what always struck me. Even when I was a kid, I was always very aware that like we were like 12-year-olds listening to this music, and they were all like 28. It's so funny to me to like be the kind of band that is really successful with like elementary school kids who think it's edgy, you know, like he probably just like didn't think much about that because it's hard to like reconcile. Yeah. Yeah. Durst is not about to renounce his friendships with legendary ladies, men like Tommy Lee and Polly Shore <laughs> or, or to apologize for his cameo in the porn flick backstage sluts. Number two, <laughs> oh, just asking him to be in like a porn not even like being the porn actor, just like, 
Hey, I'm Fred Durst. A cameo. Hey, what's up? It's me, Fred Durst. What's up? You're like, you just, you have your penis in your hand, and there's Fred Durst fully clothed. Like what? <laughs> it's like it's misdirection where he comes in the door with a pizza, but it's just a normal pizza, <laughs> and then he leaves, and the next guy has the other pizza. He, uh, yeah, he's more than willing to explain his most misogynistic misstep. I was angry at my girlfriend, and I let it build up. He explains. If you heard what she called me. I understand that two wrongs don't make a right. I was reacting. I didn't think of the consequences. I've learned my lesson. Oop! Wait, this is good. And then instead, like after he's apologizing, he's like, "Was I a dick? A homophobe? A chauvinist? No, but I go back to make sure." <laughs> cool, dude. Very cool. <laughs> I wanted to see the lyrics for that song now. For Nookie. For uh, for stuck. Psycho <laughs> female blowing up the phone line. You need to tighten that screw. It's been loose for a long time. Where's he homophobic? It's pretty misogynistic. I don't see uh, homophobia in there, though. Yeah, I don't know if he was referring to something else or what, but... Or maybe he's just right when he says, no, I wasn't. Durst's mind turns to Adriana, the daughter he fathered when he was 19. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. I didn't know that either. Is Method Man is on Significant Other? Yeah. Um... With, like, RZA or someone else on the same track, right? They had, like, one, like, actual, like, rap track. They had the, the remix of Roland. Yeah. The bunch of rappers on it. I forget who it was exactly. Because it was the Urban Assault Vehicle version and the other version. Urban style. Ghetto version. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of it's, interesting. It's, in 1999, it's conceivable that they would just call it that. It's interesting that... uh like Fred Durst and Eminem are similar in a lot of ways, but Eminem talked about his daughter all the time, and Fred Durst never mentioned his daughter at all. <laughs> Eminem's daughter was the one thing that made him like act normal in those days. In like the um, the puddle of mud guy would talk about his kid all the time. Like that was a big thing in that era, talking about your estranged kid. Yeah. In like promising to do better for them and then not following through on it. Yeah. <laughs> But Fred Durst didn't talk about it. He's like, he was uh, that generation's Drake. Yeah. Trying to hide it. Ooh, I love, look, that same Rolling Stone article describes Nookie. Uh, it's another ex-girlfriend rant, but it's bone-crushing, stick-it-up-your-chorus is tempered by the masochistic mantra, like a chump, like a chump. <laughs> That's like some pitchfork writing right there. Yeah, it's That's funny. serious pitchfork writing. They, yeah, it's just funny to me, Rolling Stone trying to sell this stuff, like to sort of like slap some kind of narrative on it, you know, or like slot it into whatever aesthetic zeitgeist. Like it's, it's just so surreal. Cause I, you know, I, in 1999, I was, I was definitely not listening to Limp Biscuit, but my little brother was. Yeah, exactly. So you're too old to like, and this, what's funny is that like, I'm trying to think you're like younger than Fred Durst, I think. I I am younger than Fred Durst, but, but I. But you're am, too old to like the biscuit because only twelve year olds liked it <laughs> when it was like new. You know. I mean, I, I was listening to like Palace Brothers, I think, a lot in 1999. That was yeah, it was just like uh, hard hardcore and Palace Brothers. Yeah, I was like, I was too young to get Lynn Biscuit really, but yeah, I that's was. That's a good point. Because what I was, if I was like fifth or sixth grade you must have been what like first grade ish so yeah it's too yeah when they were big but they were still like in the uh in the discourse in like the early 2000s and i remember hearing 
the rumor that they uh they got their band name from they all came on a cookie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then yeah, whoever yeah. came last had to eat the eat cookie. It. Yeah, that's the classic. And, and that's also how they chose the singer. <laughs> which I don't think is true. I don't I don't think that's true cuz I've I've heard that about a local Victoria hardcore band too. So <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those like canonical rumors like Marilyn Manson got his rib removed so he could suck his own dick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Rod Stewart getting his stomach pumped cuz he had dog cum in it. <laughs> um there was a uh, li- Lil Bow Wow being raped by his bodyguard. I remember that one. <laughs> Jeez, that was not true. It's funny because all the all the rumors of that time just sound like Eminem lyrics. They really do. Yeah, it's just some horrible <laughs> thing befalling like Christina Aguilera. Yeah, exactly. That's I, I don't know. Like it's it's weird to look at this as somebody who didn't grow up listening to this stuff, but but was like exposed to it just because I couldn't avoid it. It's it's weird to see it as like. An outgro- a real outgrowth of like Red Hot Chili Peppers, Faith No More. Like, like I think I think Limp Biscuit Corn is like the uh, it's the cul-de-sac yeah. that, that like funk metal led to. The other thing is like Rage Against the Machine definitely. Oh yeah, helped to spawn this stuff. Totally. Got now. I'm reading that part about his daughter. Um, Although he can now support his kid financially, emotional investment is beyond him at this point. I really haven't been able to spend much time on the father-daughter thing, Durst admits ruefully. <laughs> oh my I love God. to admit things ruefully. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, he was a self-described academic whiz during high school. Self-described. Self-described, yeah. <laughs> yeah I so want good. the transcripts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm calling on right now in 2020. I'm calling on Fred Durst to release yeah. the transcripts. Yeah, we need to know if he's an academic whiz, unless he means whiz as in like piss, like like he was really bad. <laughs> he peed at school. Yeah, <laughs> like many people. <laughs> so he was a, a self-described academic whiz, but then he was he became clouded by dreams of success at rapping and skateboarding. <laughs> so. Um, he tried to study art, but he gave up after four days. Then he was broke and cr- crashing on a friend's couch, taking a cold, hard look at himself and saying, I was such a fucking loser. <laughs> My dad can't stand me, man. I'm going to fucking go in the Navy and he'll be proud of me then. Oh, yeah. He was in the Navy. Yeah, he was. 18 There's months. like a picture of him in the Navy uniform. It's good. Ooh, do you know why he got discharged from the Navy? He uh, injured his wrist skateboarding and got a medical discharge. Badass. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's not good. as cool as Jimi Hendrix being discharged from the army for whacking off. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> to Fred Durst's credit, he was very smart for getting out of there because uh, Iraq was coming up in just a couple of years. So. That's right. Get on him. So on that note, there's a similar article from 2001 in Entertainment Weekly called winging it a profile on the band crazy town and the whole thing is just like it's gold the tagline is with butterfly crazy town metamorphosed from hardcore screw-ups to sweet sensations and this is about their first album maybe they were just hardcore screw-ups uh their entire lives until they made an album so paragraph one, even as we speak, the nation's checkout lines are full of girls clutching copies of Crazy Town's debut, The Gift of Game. No, they're not. N- no. That never happens. <laughs> no, that's not true. 
The crunchy rap rock album has busted into the top 10 thanks to Butterfly, a smash that's putting a female-friendly spin on a genre that typically tends more toward misogyny. You filled that empty space, and it don't get better than this, coo sensitive guy, Seth Shifty Shellshock Binzer in the hits <laughs> Waning Moments. But, like, that song, like, I'm pretty sure he says the line, you got me sprung with your tongue ring. <laughs> that's like the second line in the song. That's so. uh, that's that is the female friendly spin that they're talking about. <laughs> that's such a it's such a bizarre framing to say that. Well, it's usually misogynistic, but also there's... if we ask Fred Durst in the previous article about that, he would emphatically deny that it's misogynistic. They're just being horny, and then uh, welcome to Crazy Town, where the gap between LFO and Limp Biscuit shrinks with little warning. Wait a second. There's an even better line than the one you were bringing up, Alex, in the next paragraph. The following up on all the female-friendly da 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 da. There's a line. Uh, seconds later, the pace has changed. I get drunk and I stumble to the phone and conjure up a bitch to bone. That's from uh, Only When I'm Drunk, which has a great beat. The backing track to that song is... I've listened to the whole album several times. The backing track to that song is great. But the lyrics are the stupidest shit of all time. Let me look it up. The writer, the writer also throws in, uh, in his own voice, where the hell art thou, Romeo? Which is, again, like another very 90s. It's the type of writing, yeah. writing that died when the trade centers went down. Yeah, you know? that's such... Absolutely. Such stupid writing. I mean, I guess it didn't entirely die. It sort of, uh, to use this guy's own words, it metamorphosed into uh, Vice magazine for another yeah, de- totally. decade. <laughs> Alex, are you looking up those lyrics? Yeah. I get drunk and I stumble to the phone and conjure up a bitch to bone when I'm alone. Fucked up, tore back, I need to take a piss. Only when I'm drunk, I sing a song like this. (laughs) (laughs) He rocks. He's so cool. Yeah, Alex, you were telling us about how you used to prank call him. Uh, Do you want to go into that? Oh, yeah. I found out which apartment building he lived in and I, I would call the front desk and say I was him and give his apartment number and say, like, my toilet exploded and you need to send maintenance (laughs) up right away. Did he ever catch on? I don't know. I don't know if he, he had no way of knowing where that would be coming from. And I don't think he's with it enough to even know. Was it like Mo in the Simpsons where it's just like, when I catch you, I'm going to, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Now I'm revealing it. Now he's going to come for me. Yeah. (laughs) Farther down. Who is that? A stumped shifty is trying, with the help of new guitarist Craig Squirrel Tyler, to figure out who's <laughs> rehearsing next door at the Los Angeles studio, where they're working up tunes for a sophomore album. The 1991 hit Just the Way It Is Baby bleeds through the walls, and then comes the Friends theme. It's Crowded House, <laughs> announces Squirrel, misidentifying the Rembrandts. <laughs> that's just, that's a, why would you think that was Crowded House? <laughs> The Friends theme. People don't respect Crowded House enough. That's so funny to be in a practice space with the guys who made the Friends theme. Man, just like exploring the milieu that this art was created in is very fascinating. This article describes the Crazy Town members as hip-hop kids and then goes on to explain that uh, when when they met each other, uh, the, guy, the guy named Epic 
was, uh, or no, sorry, Shifty was between his first job typecast as a teen skateboarder in Levi's and Nintendo commercials and his second dealing drugs, which I, I bet he never did. Yeah, absolutely. Or maybe. Probably Dude, not. It, was, it was rough out there practicing with the Rembrandts and everything, you know. You don't know what it was like on the streets. You had to write a, a TV theme song just to get by. He was sort of like a 90s renaissance man. He was in a rap rock band. He did skateboarding. He was in Nintendo commercials. And he dealt drugs. And he dealt drugs, yeah. Not until the late 90s, after Shifty had done three months in California's Chino State Prison on a burglary rap and sobered up from a drug habit, did the pair get serious about their beastie-style dual raps. He uh, did not sober up from his drug habit. He's been on celebrity rehab twice. They had to bring him back. (laughs) Oh, before I forget, I wanted to talk about the Quiet Riot album. So, one of the guys we follow on YouTube on the Chapo stream uh, was talking about how Quiet Riot has a new album. And he was waiting for an album for a long time, and now they have a new album, and and Rock is back. And I listened to it, and it's incredibly bad. It's recorded like... It sounds like a garage band recording by someone who doesn't know how to use garage band. It's the singer is a fourth place finisher on, on American Idol. One of the, like the cool rock guys that they get. And then it's the drummer and the bass player and a new guitarist. The original singer died. And it's it's mixed so bad. Like, the guitars are turned way down. The bass is turned way down. All you can hear is the drums and the vocals. Because the drummer is, like, the one running shit, I guess. It's really just funny. just like, himself all the way up. If you know nothing about production, that is, like, the one thing to know about pop production. is like, oh, the drums and the vocals are, like, louder. But it just sounds like absolute garbage. And I'm looking at the press release that's pasted onto the YouTube video. And uh, the guy you're talking about, who's like the fourth, fourth place uh, finisher on um, American Idol or whatever it was. Uh, it's like, Quiet Riot introduced fans to the powerhouse vocalist James Durbin. With Hollywood Cowboys, James has done a phenomenal job with his vocals on this release. <laughs> Great phrasing. Yeah. Yeah, this is an Italian record label, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> that it's basically one guy producing everything. What? When they get these aging bands, they did White Snake. They've done. Uh, who else do they have? Yeah, I need to look at this record label. Jack Blades from um, from Damn Yankees, Night Ranger. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, they just Mr. Big, Dokken. Whoa, Dokken. Winger. Like, they get all of these bands that are down on their luck that have, like, one original member. And then they produce shit for them. And they also do occasionally, like, bands that sound like Evanescence but heavier and have, like, (laughs) uh, the, the exact same singer. But it's yeah, all mostly the these hair metal bands. Are the ones with either one or zero remaining original members. Yeah, and it's like, bands that the... weren't good in the first place. Like Quiet Riot wasn't even good. Yeah, exactly. Their big hit was a cover. The drummer is the, is the only remaining original member. 
Frankie Benelli. God, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, he's the only one you want to hear. Yeah, that's why they turned him way up. I need to know more about this Italian record label that only releases oh, Frontiers Music. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Aside from providing a home for classic artists from the 70s and 80s, the label has also become home to a wealth of young, up-and-coming talent. No, I don't, I don't know. Toto <laughs> and Sebastian Bach. Yeah, it's some young up-and-coming talent. Alan Parsons. Really? Alan <laughs> yeah, Parsons? So. <laughs> Poor guy. I like Alan Parsons and his project. The, oh, man, the, I feel like they have, the, they have just like one art director for this, for this entire record label, and he's terrible. Yeah, it's a very small operation. It's a really specific for the amount of shit they produce. It's a really specifically type. It's a really specific type of bad too. Yeah, it's all. It's like I'm on their about us page on their website now. It's like all the bands that were bad in the '80s, but now Def Leppard, Toto, uh, Journey, Survivor. They have a Blue Oyster Cult record coming out. the The cover looks like it was made in like MS Paint. It's <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> They make so much, and, like, I guess they have low personnel costs because it's one person doing everything, but there's no way this can be profitable. Like, the music videos get, like, between 20,000 and 50,000 views, sometimes lower. But here's the thing. you They can't be selling albums. The audience is, though, like, super old. So they really might be buying CDs, which are the cheapest thing to produce. Like if there's a couple thousand people buying CDs, it's almost like, you know, there's, it's the most profitable physical medium there ever was. They could be like, especially if it's one guy doing it all, the one guy could be making a living, man. Yeah. And the bands will just make their money off of like touring, like, you know, fucking like casino type of venues or whatever, if they can actually book those shows. That's a weird type of guy to be, to be like the guy who still buys music and keeps up with new music, but only buy the yeah, same only... bands <laughs> from 1983. Yeah, bands from 50 years ago, yeah. <laughs> you haven't discovered anything new. You're just still following those bands. I think it's, it's... a specific demographic of people who are not um, music fans, but who like listening to music. You know what I mean? Like... They yeah. probably listened to only like five bands when they were younger, but those are the same five bands they're still with, you know? Yeah, I think that's a minority of people, like older people who aren't really it's into certain, music. Yeah, Most it's of them would listen to Quiet who, Riot on like yeah, uh, one of those compilations that you get where it's like 10 songs and it's on a budget label. Yeah. <laughs> you see that in the store and you buy that and you're like, oh, I remember that. Yeah, but the, to actually follow those bands and want to hear what like the drummer and then three young guys are making now. I'm actually very curious how they promote this music to that audience because like those people are too old to really be on most social media, like maybe Facebook. But other than that, I don't really know how you reach those people, right? Yeah, how have do you let them know there's a new album? Is there have a, a uh, infomercials on um, MSNBC or CNN? drop leaflets maybe uh (laughs) i think i figured out how this label makes money though is uh i think that they not only release these bands but they also book them in europe so oh okay 
so they basically like you know do the merch production and then book shows for them and take a percentage. It seems like they sign like three sixty deals, but they've got like that a, makes sense. They've got like a shitload of uh, and and I know that this stuff plays really well in um, uh, Germany, parts of like most of Germany and uh, Eastern Europe. You know, like okay. every almost every time I've been on tour in Central Europe or Eastern Europe the scorpions are either about to play have played or are literally playing the same night <laughs> they are from germany right the scorpions, scorpions. oh yeah. yeah 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 i think that michael shanker was the guy from scorpions right winds of change they, they have, have him on here there you go and oh, the, and they sell out like arenas so i'm sure this this label is like maybe maybe they don't need to market the new record maybe it's just like People go see the Scorpions and then they go to the merch table and buy the newest thing. And that's that. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. I think you're right. Oh, yeah. That's a good racket because, like, they, yeah. they come go to the show and to they... see the old hits. Yeah. So yeah, the they see hits. the old hits. They're like, oh, my God, what a great band. Buy the... They've had a few beers. <laughs> and then they go to the merch table and it's like, hell yeah, I want to hear their new album. And then you put it in. And it sounds and it's... like it's recorded in a garage and the drums are three times as loud as everything else. And... Yeah. And, <laughs> and just there's garbage one no surviving member. But what, are you going to return it? They're, no. they're already in Lithuania now. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go back to the big sports arena? What really interests me about the mixing on that, too, is that, like, anyone in, like, any kind of band, really, as you, like, make enough music, you start to understand production at least somewhat. Like, you know what you want out of something after you've done a few records. So, like, how could you be in Quiet Riot, like, be just the drummer or whatever, and be this deep in your career and, like, not be able to immediately know that you've made a terrible sounding record uh, maybe he was getting shut down by uh by some of the less adventurous members of uh of quiet riot you know like yeah. maybe you know maybe when they they recorded all all of all of their hits he was like hey what if we dried everything out and made the drums three times as loud and and everybody was like shut up dude <laughs> and now he finally gets to do what he wants right. now he gets to, he gets to, he gets to really uh he gets to uh show his vision quiet right <laughs> i think he spent so much time behind the drum set playing that he thinks that's what music is supposed to sound like <laughs> like you mostly hear your own drums and then you like you can hear the bass just enough to like to know what, what part of the song it is <laughs> or maybe we're not giving him enough credit and it's a concept oh, album like it's like an experimental thing from that perspective yeah. of like this is what it's like to be me yeah this is what it's like to be behind a drum kit for 45 years. <laughs> this is what I have to hear. Yeah. No, <laughs> How do you I, like it. I think you I think you're right, man. I think uh, he probably doesn't he, he probably does he probably tours so much he doesn't listen he doesn't listen to any other music but his own and only when he's playing it. So he now thinks that's what music sounds like. Yeah. Just, just a wash of ride symbol. <laughs> like, yeah, he probably doesn't have great hearing either. Yeah. <laughs> He's like 67 years old and played in Quiet Riot. Yeah. Contrary to their name, they, they weren't very quiet. They made a ruckus. They tore it up. Ruckus Riot. Ruckus Riot. Ruckus Riot. Rowdy Ruck. All right, what else we got? I, I guess here's, here's one more detail. Just a really quick check-in on Sugar Ray and what they're up to right now. Um, they're working on an album called Little Yachty, which is both a reference to the rapper Lil Yachty and the fact that Mark McGrath views Sugar Ray as a yacht rock band. So good for them. I hope Lil Yachty's on the album. I don't think they're really a yacht rock band. Maybe that's aspirational. 
I think Dan, what you were just getting at is interesting. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's not like we know where these artists are at, but I'm curious to what extent they need the money or to what extent they don't. I, it's hard to know, like, speculate looking at this. But. I have a feeling that if you were in like a, if you were in a hair metal band in the eighties late, you know, uh, you probably blew all your money. Yeah. Like there was a lot of money there for you, but you also are the type of person who doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And, and also like, I I think a lot of those bands were young when they got signed and probably signed like predatory, uh, management contracts where we're subject. You're right. There's so much manipulation that went on, especially back then. And also it was an era of just like gross overspending on the part of record levels, which is, you know, like still really hasn't ended. I think I've, you know, it still happens, but I think back in the eighties, it was like, it was, it, it peaked out just it was completely obscene. So, uh, I think as a band, you would do your record cycle and then, you know, essentially get a itemized, if you asked, probably an itemized, uh, bill of recoupables from the label that was like, you know, every time you played a show, somebody from the label was probably flying out to see you and, get limousines and yeah, just, yeah just, just just fucking spending your money <laughs> yeah blowing huge amounts of it for sure yeah so they probably do need the money and they probably need the tour and i don't know I, it just makes me wonder what like something like sub pop is gonna be if uh sub pop 2030 you know like <laughs> yeah <laughs> the equivalent label that has like wolf parade in the shins and stuff yeah that's uh totally you're all like 65 years old and yeah they should make fake nirvana demos <laughs> and put them out that's what's going to uh make Bring, them money in the future yeah sub pop uh in the sub pop of 2045 it wouldn't be that hard you could just get someone to do it say these are like make like 20 songs that were recorded for bleach and then rejected well the the hard part's over it's like you know you the songs already exist. You just have to record shittier versions of them. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, record demos. We just come up with new riffs. Actually, the problem is uh, Nirvana might be the wrong band to do that with because they really dug up that grave so heavily in the early 2000s. Like when they released that box set with like a million like I had that home bo- demos. I, I and... had that box set. I, I, yeah, I, totally. Yeah, me too. I, there were some good stuff on there. Yeah, I yeah. loved it. I, I mean, not all of it is great, obviously, but... Yeah, you had like there was like a Velvet Underground cover. There was a demo of Drain You that was really cool. Yeah, there was what else? A handful of songs that were like newer, unreleased ones, like that Do Re Mi one. Yeah, there's plenty of shit. The one yeah, song that, that they recorded one. for the next album was really good, actually. What do you call it? Uh, you know, you're right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Nirvana had at least one more good album in them for sure. Had they continued? L.A. Guns is on here. L.A. Guns. Wow. That's a weird band because that was like Guns N' Roses was supposed to be L.A. Guns and then Hollywood Roses combined. But then L.A. Guns is still a band. They just keep like replenishing themselves. It's like when you cut a worm in half (laughs) and they regrow the other half. It's unnatural. (laughs) It's not supposed to be happening. I just thought maybe, Dan, the um, way to head off the future of like some kind of sub-pop equivalent label like this is just to get uh, Wolf Parade and all those other sub-pop bands onto this label, Hell Frontiers yeah. Music, right now. <laughs> That's right. 
<laughs> then we can learn about all their practices too. Yeah, it'd be like uh, investigative journalism and like uh, future proofing myself. Yeah, <laughs> and then we can uh, see if we can bring in um, the Rembrandts into the fold. If this we're due for a reissue of the Friends theme on like a seven inch for record store day. If this label can get me on like the uh, ex Soviet satellite state casino circuit, I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rick Springfield's on here. Good for him. Striper, everyone's on here. Oh, Wolf Parade's on here. <laughs> right. Yeah, already. I just signed with them while we were uh, while we were talking. It's uh, it's like an on it's an online forum. You just uh... under the About Us page, they do have a submission page. So, well, they already made a video for you. That's crazy. We should start uh, like a sleaze rock band and submit to be signed to this label. <laughs> <laughs> and make sure we mix the drums like way too loud. <laughs> yeah, not allow that guy to produce it. Influences recent Quiet Riot. Yeah, <laughs> we're the only people to hear that album and be like, "Damn, I got." I'm into like recent that. Quiet Riot, recent Night Ranger, recent recent Mr. Big, recent Striper. Yeah, they're satanic. Those guys now. were okay back in the day, but it took about forty or fifty years for them to really hit their stride. That's right. Really hone their craft. Well, I think what I would say that we've learned today is that um, reading anything makes you smarter. Uh, and even just going onto the Frontiers Music website and reading a list of 80s bands has uh, enriched our lives. That's right. So until next time, we're going to keep doing it all for the nookie. Hell yeah, brother. Here's an addendum. Uh, I want to stress that I did not dream about Neil Peart recently. I've had no dreams about him, so I have no involvement in his death. Never dreamed about the guy once. But R.I.P. R.I.P. to a real one. And also, I found the call I made to Shifty Shellshock. I didn't say his toilet exploded, but I pretended to be a contractor that was doing uh, unauthorized maintenance on behalf of the tenant. And landlords really don't like when you say you're doing that. So here's that. My name is Jennifer. How can I help you? Hi, this is Rob. I'm up here with uh, Wilson Construction Company. I'm uh, sawing into some beams up here. I think I made a hit, may have hit a water main. I'm just I'm wondering if you can maybe uh, fax me the uh, the construction plans for this building. For uh, yes, ma'am. And where exactly are you right now? Uh, I'm in a suite. I'm doing some heavy construction up here. All right, hold on just a second. I'm going to have to have you talk to my assistant property manager. Okay. Okay. Hi, Rob. Hey there. Hi, we're going to have a building engineer come up and inspect the damage, so there should be someone up there shortly. Uh, are you going to fax me anything? Or? I, we don't have any of that thing that available. We'd have to uh, let you speak with the engineers. All right, well, I'm, I, I'm sawing into some beams here. I got, I'm halfway through. Okay. And I'm just, I don't know if these are load-bearing or, or what. Right. Um, like I said, we're going to have an engineer come up as soon as possible. Uh, can you tell him to bring me a uh, circular saw? Uh, I can ask him. Um, I'm, I'm going to need to cut through the floor a little bit okay, in, the, in the subfloor. Hold on just a moment. Hi, I'm so sorry about that. Engineering is already on their way up to see you, so they should be there any moment. All right, where, where, which one is the sewage pipe? I, I, I don't know. I don't have that information available. And, but what I what I was instructed to let you know was to stop any and all work that you're doing until engineering arrives on site. 
Well, the uh, the tenant, I'm under contract with the tenant to be doing this work here. I, I understood. The engineering will be there any minute now. Okay. Can you tell them to bring me a circular saw? We generally don't lend out tools, so you'll just have to wait till the engineering gets there. Because I'm I'm splitting beams with a with a bandsaw up here, and I'm I'm trying to trying to add some uh, some some posts here. Right. If you'll just if you'll just bear with us for a few minutes, engineering should be there any minute. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks.